Hello, and welcome to the Green Tea Party, where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems. I'm Katie Zakreski. My name is Zach Torpy, and together we will guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them. All while remaining faithful to our conservative values. Trust me, it'll be a good time. Yeah, it's a party, so grab your mugs and we'll pour the tea. Well, Zach, how are you? We finally survived the holidays. It's all past us now. Oh, I am. I'm feeling good. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually going to fly home and be flying home soon, avoiding the hol- the holiday tax in airports. <laughs> yeah, you know, good luck with that. Everybody that I'm talking to right now who like is traveling, traveling. I'm like, I do not envy that because of all the crazy weather going on. In addition to just the holiday stress being the way it normally is, I have a crippling fear of planes. Didn't think we were going to go on this tangent today, but I do. I have a crippling fear of planes. And so the holidays scare me enough. If I had to get on a plane at the holidays, I would become a federal flight risk. So God's <laughs> need more trains. Yeah, absolutely. We need more trains. 100%. When y'all did that episode, I was like, man, I wish I didn't live in rural Arkansas because uh, <laughs> I would I would 100% pick, pick train over plane any day. Uh, so Godspeed to everybody traveling via plane or anybody traveling, period, right now. Yeah. So, Katie, I had something tough in my mind today. So I live sure. in Colorado, which I don't know if our listeners know, but they recently ruled that Trump cannot be on the Colorado Republican primary ballot. Oh, yeah. It felt <laughs> so out of nowhere and unexpected and... Yeah, it was like w- way out of left field. I saw a Babylon Bee headline that was like, Colorado upholds democracy by clowning on democracy. And I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah. I actually, uh, I'm, in a, I'm in a Discord with all my friends. And I guess because I- I'm on the show and I do a lot of political stuff, anytime something happens in our politics and news channel, all my friends ping me. And I got like 50 pings that day that was like, can they do this? What's the legality of this? What's allowed? And so I had to be like, okay, here, here's what's constitutionally like the requirements for running for president. No, it has nothing to do with whether or not you've been arrested before. So, and one of, and we pretty much boiled down to, and and by the way, if I'm wrong on this, just tweet us and let me know. Okay. I don't want to spread misinformation. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a cop, but from what I gathered, you can pretty much like run for president as somebody who's been convicted of a crime, but if it's a felony, you can't vote for yourself. So, I don't know. There's some real 5D chess going on here, and I am not sharp enough to figure out the moves. So, <laughs> I, I don't even know where to begin. So, it, it was funny enough, it was brought by Republicans in Colorado oh my Lord. to okay. get him off the ballot. I guess they're DeSantis or Haley supporters. They, they're going after him under the 14th Amendment, which is the amendment that was used to bar Civil War politicians yeah. from, like, the Confederate politicians from running in the U.S. Which, I mean, fair enough. That makes sense in that context, I guess. But, yeah, man, I, I have no idea what to think when this one... I, I think that every single day, the con- the Republican Party proves that they have no idea what their platform is anymore. <laughs> um, and, and I really just kind of wish that Trump had split the party. He's talking about wanting to do the Patriot Party for the longest. I really wish he would have just done that. So we could have been like, okay, anybody who's a Trump supporter could be part of the Patriot Party. And then we can... And they can figure out what their platform is. And then the Republican Party can have XYZ platform instead of like trying to guess 
what the hidden agenda is for everything that they do. And like you, you know, like you had mentioned, like trying to figure out, okay, for the people who, who came up with this, what is their like agenda? Who are they support? What's their motive? It would be nice if we had like both parties split up and get just have more options. Like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I like that. You know what? Dismantle the two party system. I think the only time down with the duopoly. Yeah, yeah. Not to sound too crazy, but I think the others the only time that Republicans and Democrats really work together is when it's preventing a, a third party from showing up. So <laughs> yeah, you know what? Let's have fifty parties and let's just- get a conservative environmental party in there. Oh, there you go. You know, yeah, the green tea party. All right. You know Let's get that paperwork going. All right, gang. You heard it here first. We're running for president. We don't well, meet any of the requirements. But. <laughs> One person who will probably not be joining our party is uh, Nikki Yaley, who I want to bring up again. Use the, the environmentalist as a slur against uh, Ron DeSantis in the debate. <laughs> you know you that know, still upsets me. <laughs> so I, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that. That burns my biscuits so bad that everybody was essentially being like, "I'm not environmentalist. You're a dirty environmentalist. You're a dirty environmentalist." So I decided that for today's episode, I wanted to go ahead and visit the history of conservative American vi- environmentalism because I'm sick and tired of this trope that conservatives are not environmentalists. And this, I guess, is part of my strange pioneer woman dream. What is also part of my strange pioneer woman dream is I'm going to have to step away here before the show ends to pull bread out of the oven. Yeah, that's right. I'm a pioneer woman. I'm conservative environmentalist pioneer <laughs> woman. Come at me, Ron DeSantis. So, so let's give a little history lesson to all of our presidential hopefuls and anybody who might be out there thinking that conservatism and environmentalism do not go hand in hand. So we're going to start with Teddy Roosevelt and work our way through the present, and you'll get to see what every Republican president since Teddy Roosevelt has done for the environment. And pay attention to the shift as we get a little bit closer to modern time about how things change for conservatives in the environment. Yeah. So starting with Teddy Roosevelt, the 26th president. And in my opinion, the best president in our history. <laughs> I know. I, I, man, we're all Teddy fans. I love Teddy Roosevelt. From 1901 to 1909, he was an American right-wing environmentalist, grew up as like a, a sickly child and sort of just grew up to really want to be a man, be a manly man and like overcome his uh, deficiencies as a sick child. He's almost like an American folktale figure. Like, when you, like, look back at the people in our history, he, he's, like, right there on the border, in my opinion, of, like, real life and folktale. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, he, he as a kid is, like, going out into, the, like, and, like, making taxidermies of, like, animals he's killed as, like, a teenager, Man, like, a young just even like And just even, like, the way he always stuck to his guns, like, when everybody was against him, you know, the walk softly, carry a big stick, he was just way ahead of his time. So he was definitely a very complex political figure who had like opinions that were across the spectrum. He wasn't a man who was held to like one stance based on the parties. He was a man who held to his own convictions and did what he thought was right in the moment. I'm really glad you said that because while I was researching him, like getting together a list of a lot of his environmental accolades, almost every opinion that I read was that he did not fit neatly in either party's political box. Because even though he was a really driving force behind the progressive era, he still had a lot of this traditional stewardship, resource management that 
a lot of modern conservatives have really hailed to be, you know, like this is our realm of expertise as a political party. So it's really interesting to see how, you know, 120 years ago, he was combining both of these parties and we still remember him for that today. Yeah, he was different then, he would be different now, <laughs> and he was just a rugged individualist, which I think more modern American politicians should embrace. I know. So Rosa was a driving force behind the progressive era, advocating for reforms, including conservation, labor, antitrust laws. He established the U.S. Forest Service, signed into law the Antiquities Act, repression of public lands, and expanded the national park system. Like, he did a lot for the environment, expand, especially expanding national parks and really giving Americans a sense of how, like, understanding how beautiful and special our country was. Because in Europe, you didn't have this, like, untouched land that you could go out to and hunt and enjoy and take pride in. It's all developed in Europe. And in America, we have this beautiful land that you can go hike in, go explore. I think that's such an, such an American and particularly a conservative hallmark, too. Like, I know just growing up, seeing a lot of that, like, conservative vintage signage that was, like, you know, that, like, 40s, 50s poster style that always had the traditional lumberjack with the axe, like, in some sort of, in some forested, like, background, some sort of scenery. Just the fact that you have somewhere you can go and just be around nature in our country, I've heard is really mind-boggling to a lot of Europeans. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of this was based on his uh, growth when he went to North Dakota to become a rancher and really took up with like uh, woodland legends and like was trying to learn how to be like a true rugged American, which was something he was he was trying to become, which I think he successfully did. For sure. What a hero. He had some very progressive policies that wouldn't align with modern republicanism, such as his trust busting and the breaking up of big businesses. But he also had a lot of conservative stances, such as a strong national defense and setting a barrier of between the Americas and Europe and saying, this is our side. You guys stay over there. Right. And you could even argue that within the modern conservative party, he might have aligned more closely with a lot of blue collar conservatives that we see are really distrustful of big business and big government and trusts and corporations and things of that nature. So I think that that, that is a testament to what you're saying, Zach, that his political background is so diverse that you're going to find people on all places of the political spectrum who see a little bit of themselves in Teddy Roosevelt. So let's go through some big major environmental policy that was passed under his stewardship. Mm -hmm. So first we got the National Parks and Forests Act, Roosevelt, or National Parks and Forests. Roosevelt greatly expanded the national park system, adding millions of acres to protect the land. Signed the Antiquities Act in 1906, allowing him to designate national monuments and use his power to expand to protect various landscapes around the U.S. that we can still enjoy to this day. Nice. Forest conservation. Rosa worked to conserve forests by establishing the U.S. Forest Service in 1905, appointed Gifford Pinchot as the first chief of forest service, and together they implemented sustainable forest practices and expanded national forests. Excellent. Um, and, and that's something that we've seen come up in, in recent years, too, about sustainable and ethical forestry practices to prevent wildfires. So he was really ahead of his time on that. Yeah, yeah. Maintaining the beauty. National Monuments used the Antiquities Act and designated 18 national monuments, including the Grand Canyon, Devil's Tower, and Murr Woods. These actions aimed at preserving natural wonder 
for future generations so that it wouldn't be spoiled by development in his generation. Hmm. Well, Teddy Roosevelt was a huge advocate for understanding nature and being a naturalist. That was an alternate path he was considering was instead of being a politician, becoming a naturalist and studying animals and mm-hmm. how the natural world, world evolved. And he was just very into hunting, taxidermy, and just studying how things came to be. So he did a lot to protect the natural environment, to protect animals. Mm. In 1902, Roosevelt signed the Reclamation Act, which facilitated the construction of dams and irrigation projects in the West, promoting water conservation and making arid lands more suitable for agriculture. This is maybe a little controversial today because they they really went all out developing Mm. projects and didn't really think a lot of them through. A lot of them lost money and weren't really well thought out, but it was really important to keep expanding America to the West and really develop the Western lands. Right. So Teddy Roosevelt's contributions to conservation and environmentalism laid the groundwork for future conservation efforts and helped shape the modern approach to preserving Americans' natural heritage. And I think he really just changed the culture around Americans and the environment and set a tone for future generations. Again, it is. And... I'll share a quick quote I like from Teddy. I recognize the right and duty of this generation to develop and use the natural resources of our land, but I do not recognize the right to waste them or to rob by wasteful use the generations that come after us. We salute you, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. What a bummer. of the future. What a guy. What people did. Right. Right. Way ahead of his time. You, I think even past our modern time, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's still, still, still not a lot of uh, forward thinking. Right. Awesome. We love Teddy Roosevelt. So, going on to our next president, this is going to be the 27th president and president of the United States, William Howard Taft, who was president from 1909 to 1913. I'll be completely transparent about with you. I knew two things about Taft from my American history class in high school. Shout out, Miss Logan. Hope you're listening. And, and that's that he got stuck in his bathtub and he loved cake. <laughs> Obviously, neither neither of these things had to do with environmentalism, but I see a lot of myself in Taft. So thank you for being there first, Mr. President. And he had two main environmental pieces of legislation that were passed under his presidency. And that was the Antiquities Act. He continued those conservation efforts um, that were set forward by his predecessor, Teddy Roosevelt, which you had just mentioned, Zach and used the Antiquities Act to designate a lot of national monuments. So keeping up with this national monument, this national park, this national land theme, and he expanded the system of protected public lands. And he also asked, passed the, pardon me, the Public Health Service Act. So while it wasn't explicitly environmental, he signed this, this bill in 1912, which included a lot of provisions for controlling pollution, laying the groundwork for environmental legislation and regulation that would come in the name of public health. So he was one of the first presidents to really broaden the view of how the environment and how climate change in general, and of course they weren't calling it at that time climate change, but he was really tying the two together, this public health aspect as well as this environmental aspect. So pretty cool for a guy who loved cake and got stuck in a bathtub. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a pretty forward-thinking act. The yeah linking public health and the environment because a lot of people didn't link them back then i mean your doctor would go tell you to smoke your cigarettes or your cigarettes right yeah don't worry so, about it so that you could have a small baby in childbirth and yeah go smoke your cigarette and 
drink three glasses of wine a day. Like, let's relax. Let's calm down. So that's what I, and Zach, I'm really glad you picked up on this. And this is something that a lot of our listeners will pick up on as well. A lot of these presidents a hundred years ago were, were forward thinking. They were really thinking a lot about how the environment and conservation impacted other sectors of life and how it would impact future generations. And it's really interesting. You'll see some of that start to decline as we start to get more into the modern era. So something to be on the lookout for as we go through this list. All right. Our next president is Warren G. Harding, the 29th president from 1921 to 1923. Continued forest conservation and expanding efforts to protect and manage national forests aimed to ensure a sustainable balance between economic development and environmental preservation. He also signed the Mineral Leasing Act of 1920, addressing concerns about the wasteful extraction of oil and minerals on public land. This act sought to regulate and conserve these resources and better manage how they were going to be used going forward. Awesome. Sweet. All right. Well, thank you, President Harding. But then our 30th president of the United States was Calvin Coolidge, who was president from 1923 to 1929. I believe they called him Silent Cal because he didn't have a very outgoing personality. Look at me getting to show all of my little history nuggets to you all here on this show today. Perfect episode. Wonderful. And he continued this legacy of national parks and aquatic resources. So he signed legislation creating several new national parks, including the Grand Teton. Did I say that correct? I'm not fitting around there. Okay, awesome. Sweet. I'll take it. The Grand Teton National Park and Bryce Canyon National Park. So he continued to expand that national park system. And he also supported legislation that regu- that related to water conservation and resource development. And the Federal Water Power Act of 1920, for example, really aimed to regulate the development of water power resources. So you start to see this, this theme of developing and making sure that the groundwork includes making sure that there's conservation, there, it's not as a wasteful of a process as it could be, that there's concern for other affected sectors in a lot of this early legislation from the earliest 20th century. Fabulous. So for you, our listener, email us with your thoughts. Our email is info at greenteapartyradio.com. And again, thank you so much for listening to Green Tea Party Radio. A very, very special thank you to all of our patrons We absolutely could not do this without you. I feel like I say this every show, but I want to get merchandise going soon. And you better believe you guys are going to be number one on the list right after us, of course, to give merchandise and signed thank you cards. So thank you so much. This is like literally a from the ground up project. We could not do it without you. And we are so, so thankful for you. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes as well as Green Tea Party Radio merch, check us out at greenteapartyradio.com. If you have feedback, tell us what's on your mind and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and whatever social media you wish to reach us on. And just so you know, this is our passion project. We don't have any organizational sponsor. We're not founded by George Soros. He's not giving us money. We're not a ploy by the left to bilk you out of your conservative money. I promise we're not. You can look me up on Facebook. I am a real person. Nobody's giving us money except our patrons. Thank you, patrons, again. But we're building a movement because we want the world to know that conservatives have important things to say about climate change. And this episode is proof that we have for over 100 years. So be part of that voice, be part of that movement, and shout us out. Talk with us about what's on your mind. And if you want to hear our show on your college radio station, email us at info at greenteapartyradio.com and give us the details about your campus and your radio station. 
email again is info at greenteapartyradio.com. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. We survived. We did it. And we got to hear all about Teddy Roosevelt and Ronald Reagan in the same day. Ooh, history. The, <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. The true holiday spirit. Hey everybody, it's Katie here. As you can probably tell, Zach and I are history nerds and we got pretty caught up in this episode. (laughs) So as you can tell, a lot of Republican presidents are doing really great environmental stuff. And Zach and I are going to wrap it up here, but be sure to stay tuned because next episode we are going to dig into even more of these environmentally minded Republican presidents who have made a much bigger impact in the environment than any Democrat I can think of. Um, So be sure to tune in next week and you'll get to hear about this next batch of Republican presidents that we'll talk about along with their environmental accomplishments. Thanks again for listening. Hi, I'm Drew Irely. I am the conservative outreach director for Citizens Climate Lobby. My path to being a conservative uh, concerned about climate action was definitely a long one. Growing up, it was a very rural area. You had to be into the outdoors or you were going to be bored out of your mind. So I grew up doing a lot of hunting, fishing. I was the only the, the second person on my mom's side to graduate high school. I graduated June 6th, 05, at like 7.30 at night. And by 8 o'clock the next morning, I was on my way to basic training on my 17th birthday. <laughs> I had deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, rotations through Cuba. It was during this time that I really became concerned with energy infrastructure but I wasn't ready to take action yet. It took the birth of a 10 pound baby girl with cheeks so big she couldn't open her eyes to really get me to open mine. My life just went from the next 50 years to the next 75. What if she's the veteran that follows in my footsteps and she's in the VA suffering from exposure? You know, what if she's on a fossil fuel route and you know, subject to an IED? How will I be able to look at her in the eye and say, I knew that this could be an issue that you would have to face and I chose to do nothing about it? It's why we fight wars. You know, we fight them now so our kids don't have to. I am fighting climate change now so my daughters don't have to. A lot of people, you know, they say conservatives don't care about climate change and you know, it's not true at all. We just want sensible policies that don't destroy the economy in trying to find a solution. We have that here at Citizens Climate Lobby. There are a lot of leadership opportunities for conservatives, especially in red states and districts with Republican congressional offices. Conservatives can also join CCL's Conservative Caucus. It's a national group of Republicans and other right-of-center individuals where conservatives can get together and regularly meet online and have strictly conservative-based conversations. Sharing our personal story is how we make a difference. Conservative and concerned about climate change? You're not alone. My name is Chelsea Henderson, and I host RepublicEN.org's EcoRight Speaks, bringing you weekly guest interviews and stories. John Kasich, Christine Todd Whitman, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, meteorologist Marshall Shepard. Each week, we have a conversation with an EcoRight leader bringing you information, opinions, personal stories, and much, much more. Download, listen, subscribe, and join us each week on the EcoRight Speaks.